0: Well, then, <laughs> don't you, I think we all hate being misquoted, don't we? Or have you ever heard, like, had someone twist your words before? Or taken something you've said out of context and made it seem like you were saying it this way, but you actually meant it some other different way? We do this all the time, don't we? Yeah. In the, 2000, the 2016 presidential race, Hillary Clinton said something which uh, her words came back to bite her many times. And I have a quote up here. This is what appeared on news sites and social media. Hillary Clinton said, we're gonna put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business, end quote. And she actually said those words. And of course the other team, uh, Max tried to to milk those words to their full potential and basically tried to say through these words, through this quote that, you know, Hillary Clinton doesn't care about the working person, especially coal miners. She's gonna put you all out of business. She's gonna take away your jobs. Don't vote for Hillary, right? That's kind of what that quote is getting at. Well, I wanna read a little bit of before and after those words in this quote. This is what she said a little bit before that that sentence. She said, talking about clean energy and such. She said, so for example, I'm the only candidate who has a policy about how to bring economic opportunity using clean energy as the key into coal country. And then she says these words, because we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. But listen to what she says right after that. She says, and we're going to make it clear that we don't want to forget those people. Those people labored in those mines for generations losing their health, often losing their lives to turn on our lights and power our factories. Now we've got to move away from coal and all the other fossil fuels, but I don't want to move away from the people who did the best they could to produce energy that we relied on, end quote. Doesn't that make things sound a little different than, you know, sucks to suck, you're a coal miner, we're shutting you down, right? Right? Um, it's, it's actually kind of ironic that what she was trying to convey is the exact opposite of the message we're getting right up there. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not so concerned today of what you think of Hillary Clinton or fossil fuels, um, just the fact that Hillary Clinton got misquoted that time, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that she's probably used the same tactic against her opponents as well, so I'm not putting her up on any kind of pedestal. But today, we're talking about being misquoted, especially the Bible, do you know what fact-checking is, right? In this day, with all the misinformation out there, even on news sites, because let's 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 face it, the most sensational headlines get the clicks, which get the advertisements, which gets the money, right? And so there are actually websites out there that are just like fact-checking websites. If you read a news article and you're not sure how true it is, you go to these sites, and they run the source, like they run it through... Um, to see if it's actually accurate or not, or if it's slanted. And what they do is they give you all these primary sources, and they say, here are the sources, go look it up for yourself. I'm sure even fact-checking websites have their bias, but they're there to help us. I know I've, you probably know this, but just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true, right? And I hate to break it to you, but in the days of, as artificial intelligence starts to build and build, uh, misinformation's probably gonna get a whole lot worse, so we're gonna have to do a whole lot more fact-checking to see if what we're hearing is actually true. One of the, during a Sunday, as I prepare for like, talks like this, one of the things where I have to fact-check cho- che- fact a lot is quotations, You know, and you say, oh, some famous person said these words. Well, guess what? I discovered that oftentimes these famous quotations, famous, said famous person didn't say them. Someone else said them. And so a couple examples today. Um, Have you ever heard that St. Francis of Assisi quote? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Right? Good quote. The thing of it is, is as far as we can tell, St. Francis never said those words. And if you know anything about his life, He was a very sought-after and well-known preacher, which meant that he spent a lot of his time using words to preach the gospel. Another example you probably heard many times is, you know, one definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. Well, sometimes this quote is attributed to Albert Einstein here. Sometimes it's Mark Twain. Depending on the day, it may even be Benjamin Franklin. And guess what? None of these three guys apparently ever said this quote. Why do I say this? It's because fact-checking is good to do from time to time. And today we are starting a new series um, where we are looking at some of the most misquoted Bible verses um, that Christians and other people use in, in, in a way maybe that's not the way it should be. We're, looking at, we're fact-checking not so much, we're not asking ourselves, was this in the Bible? We're gonna assume, yes, these verses were in the Bible, but what we are fact checking is, is this the interpretation that the original authors actually wanted and intended to say through these words? You know, hopefully during this series, one important fact sticks out to you, and that is this. There's often more to the story, right? There's so much often more to the story, and today, um, just to start us off, I was reading a book called How Not to Read the Bible, and they gave, this one, they gave this one example. Next picture here. There's a picture up here of a unicorn. I think we all know what unicorns are. And it says underneath in bold letters, because the Bible tells me so, and then proceeds to give a number of uh, scripture references. In other words, what this picture is saying is that the Bible says unicorns are in, in the Bible, but yes, unicorns are in the Bible. And you don't have to go very far on the internet to find some people out there who really don't like Christianity, really don't like the Bible, and they feel like it's their duty in life to, to discredit the Bible, to make it seem ridiculous, and that's kind of what this, this graphic is doing. You know how they say, a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, you get a lot of graphics like this, and to me what this graphic is saying it's kind of mocking the Bible a little bit. It's saying, number one, did you know that unicor- the Bible says unicorns exist? Number two, the Bible is therefore a joke. Number three, so don't listen to what the Bible says. Like, don't, don't believe what the Bible says. That's what this picture is telling me. And, you know, for anyone that has little understanding of the Bible and stuff in that nature, pictures like this can actually be so persuasive for people. Like, if you didn't know anything about the Bible and you said, really? The Bible says unicorns exist? Well, what else does it say that we know is ridiculous, right? Um, But remember how I said there's more to the story? There's a lot more to this story that this graphic is not telling us about unicorns in the Bible. You know, unicorns, they do exist in the Bible, but here's the key. In the King James Version. And the thing you need to know about the King James version is it was written over 400 years ago. 1611 was when it came out. And does language change in 400 years a little bit? Right? Have you tried reading Shakespeare lately? Like when I had to read it in high school, they had to have modern English translation down the one side because it's so hard to understand. And the King James version is not quite that extreme. But When the translators decide to use the word unicorn, they were using the literal definition. It has the word horn in it, and uni means what? One. Animal with one horn. That's what it means. Can you think of any animals that have one horn that are still living today? I can think of, yeah, rhinoceros. That's what I can think of. So, doesn't it seem a little less ridiculous to think that, hey, when it says unicorn in the King James Bible, it's just talking about a one-horned animal and not so much this mythical creature of a unicorn, you know, that horse that has that horn that looks like a candlestick coming out of its head? There's more to the story, and that's just one little silly example, and if you want more trivia, come back next week. (laughs) I often find there are two different types of people that like to To misquote the Bible. One is this type of person that I just mentioned, you know, trying to disprove the Bible, trying to make it look silly, trying to make it look ridiculous. But there's another type of person out there that they're not intending to misquote the Bible. They're often sincere believers, Christians. And sometimes it's easy to misquote the Bible if you just say, pick up the Bible, read a random verse. Don't read the verses before it or after it. And sometimes you can start to give an interpretation that maybe wasn't intended. Maybe you can start thinking that the Bible is saying things that it's not necessarily saying. And what's the problem with that? Well, other than, you know, drifting into false teaching, which is probably not a good thing, it also sets us up for disappointment, right? Like, what if you thought that the Bible said that if you come to Jesus, your life is going to be carefree and worry-free for the rest of your life? What if you thought that? Well, you're gonna come to the Lord and then you're gonna go out into this world and then bad things are gonna happen and you're gonna be like, what's going on? I thought that the Bible says that we should have like this worry-free life, but it never said that, right? And it becomes discouragement, Kind of reminds me of Melissa, my wife. She had a roommate in college from Haiti, and she was telling us one day as a girl, she used to watch Superman like so many other kids did, and she thought, you know, well, Superman can fly. If I put on a cape, why can't I fly? And so apparently she climbs up onto the roof of her house. I'm assuming it was a flat roof, or there's a balcony, and she puts on a cape, and she jumps off the roof of her house as a little girl, (laughs) expecting to fly, Of course we know she didn't fly, she fell. (laughs) And I can't remember if she had broken bones or not, but at least she was here to tell the tale to me. So when you think and believe something that maybe is not true, it can not only cause some discouragement, but maybe even a broken bone or two if it means jumping off of a house, thinking that you are Superman. Today we are coming to a verse that is used Often, often, some of us here today, it's going to be one of our favorite verses. It's, uh, it's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And this is what the verse says in the, the New Living Translation. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What a verse, right? There's a lot of places you could go. That's a versatile verse, It could, you know, work for a lot of things. And a couple of ways it's often used is I have a couple examples up here. First picture. Here we have, it looks like the wall of a gym, and there's weights involved, and it says that verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what it's implying is, you know, when you're getting to that last set, and the weight's really heavy, and you're really tired, and you just got to pump out like a couple more reps, you just need that right motivation, that look at that wall and remind yourself that you know through Christ, I can do all things. I can lift this weight. I can push through the pain and difficulty. That's one way I've seen it used before. Another example, the next picture is, here's a picture of Tim Tebow, former football player. And I, I love Tim Tebow. I respect a lot of the ministry that he has felt God has called him to do. So I'm not trying to Criticized Tim Tebow, but you look under his eyes, he's got those, that reference. Philippians 4.13. And he's implying that this verse works also when it comes to sports, right? We need to win this game. We need to get to the Super Bowl. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Both of these examples of using this verse, they're, they're saying something, right? Without saying it. They're saying this, that as believers, we can accomplish any task we put our mind to if Christ is the one empowering us, right? If Christ is in our lives, we can accomplish anything that we set our minds to. That's motivating, isn't it? Like, that's encouraging, you know? I'm sure there are people that have been going through a difficult season and just like need to latch on to a verse from scripture, and this may have been it. It's motivating, yet is it accurate? And by accurate, I mean, is this what the Apostle Paul was intending the meaning to be when he wrote this a long time ago? You know, the best, the best way to ask or to know what someone means when they say something is to go ask them, right? What did you mean by that? And of course, it would be so great to go ask Paul, Paul, what did you mean when you said, Philippians 4.13, but of course, we can't do that. Why? Because, well, Paul's been dead for a long time now. So how do we know what Paul meant? Well, the second best thing we can do is read the surrounding verses to that passage. So that would mean, in this context, using, looking at Philippians 4 as a chapter, or looking at the whole book of Philippians, and oftentimes, context can tell us what is true and what is not and that brings us to this important point which honestly this point should come up every week for the next few Sundays and that is this it's context is everything context is everything i have seen and i think we all have seen um, where people have taken a scripture pulled it out from the rest of the scriptures around it and you can make the bible say almost whatever you want it to say as long as you get rid of the context another helpful point when we look at scriptures and ask what is their intended meaning is let's do this hermeneutical exercise it's this let scripture interpret scripture what does that mean in this context it means let's let philippians 4 help us to interpret what philippians 4:13 means let's let the book of philippians help us to understand what maybe Paul is saying in Philippians 4.13. So I want to read that verse again, Philippians 4.13, only this time we're going to start in verse 10. We're going to go a few above it. And I want you to pay attention, especially in verse 11 and 12. This is what he says as he's closing out this letter. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength." Did you pick up anything there with the context of verses 12 or 11 and 12? You know, when Paul says I can do everything through Christ. That everything he's referencing is what he just talked about in 11 verses 11 and 12. And what he's saying basically is in living conditions, in any living conditions, whether I have a lot or whether I have little, whether I have eaten today or whether I haven't. I can get through it all. I can endure it. I can continue to do what God has called me to do because it is Christ who gives me that strength. Paul is saying to us today that, you know, circumstances don't determine my attitude. That's what he's saying today. And he says contentment doesn't come from how good or how bad my life is right now, but they come from a person. They come from Jesus who is at work living in me. It's through him that I have strength. What does this mean for us today? It means that even even in difficulty, we can have contentment too. You know, Paul wasn't saying these words as he was, you know, lying, stretching out next to his his in-ground pool as he overlooks the Mediterranean, you know, sipping on a glass of something. This isn't, this is Paul He knows what pain is like. In fact, you know, he has experienced um, some of the gut punches life throws at us probably just as much, just as well or more than some of us. I know he's definitely experienced more than I have. And actually, he wrote this letter of Philippians. Philippians is often called one of Paul's prison letters. He wrote this while he was in prison as an inmate for his beliefs in Jesus. That's why he was there. And yet he says these words, I have learned to be content In everything, in everything. Paul knew pain. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown in prison, and what, of course, oh, a happy ending, where he he gets basically killed for his faith because of what he believed, because he believed Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. He knows pain. I like what one commentary talks about this verse. It says this. Does this verse promise that Christians can do anything they want? No. What God promises is that we can do everything he wants us to do. I like what the Living Bible, how it translates this verse. And the Living Bible is a paraphrase, so keep that in mind. But I think it highlights it well. It says, I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power This verse today, it's not telling us that we can do anything we want, you know? We can accomplish whatever we set our mind to. Rather, it's saying that we can be content in Christ no matter what comes our way, no matter what the world throws at us. We can overcome because Christ is our strength this morning. How How can we cultivate this contentment in our lives? Because I'm, I mean, if I'm honest, am I always a content person? Are you always content? Even if you say Jesus is Lord, are you always content? And it's interesting that Paul says, I have learned the secret of living. I think we all can learn more in how to develop and grow and increase that sense of contentment, peace, and joy that comes from the Lord in our lives, how can we do that? What are some practical steps today? Well, I could, I could go through and search the whole Bible and, and distill it down to some points, but if we're gonna stay true to this idea that context is everything and let Scripture interpret Scripture, why don't we just look and see what Paul says in Philippians 4? What are some ways that we can help to cultivate and build up God's peace in our lives? Verse 4 of chapter 4 Paul says these words. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. As I was reading this verse, I I thought of a little nice cheesy rhyme. It's a choice to rejoice. Is that cheesy? Yes, that's cheesy. But why don't you say it with me? It's a choice to rejoice. It's a choice to rejoice. He's telling them, Remember to rejoice, and often what's required for us to be rejoicing people is that we be thankful, right? We are thankful people, and my first point today is an application point is this. Let's practice being thankful to God. Let's practice being thankful, because it's a choice to rejoice. Let's look at that verse again, verse 4, where it says... These words, always be full of joy, and that next three words is so key. Joy in the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. That's key. Why? Because if Jesus promises to always be with us, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means no matter where we find ourselves today, in this moment, we have access to, to contentment and peace that comes from the Lord, no matter what's going on around us today. Paul goes on and gives some more advice on how to foster more peace in God. He says in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you want peace in your life that not even you can understand? You're like, I have no idea why I'm feeling at peace right now when all that's going on, but I am. He says if you want that kind of peace, if you want to grow in that peace, pray, thank him. Thank him for what he already has done in your life today. You know, I know many of us today Maybe setting aside a time to pray every day is, is hard. Our lives are busy and things happen. But I want to encourage you today to pray those five to ten second prayers. You know when you're driving to work and you're just thinking about something, why not pray? Just a five, cent, five to ten seconds. Like even yesterday, I was thinking, you know, yesterday was some nice weather for the end of October, and the the colors were nice, the sun was shining, and you know, to even just say, God, thank you for the beauty of yesterday. Thank you. Simple things that we can do. Practice being thankful, number one. Number two is to keep bringing our thoughts back to Jesus. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Keep bringing your thoughts back to Jesus. Verses eight and nine. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I'm not going to lie for a second. Sometimes it's very hard to think about the Lord in a day. Sometimes it's, you know, an hour by hour, a minute by minute struggle at times. I get it. But here's the thing, especially in difficult times, when we lose sight of God, we also begin to lose the peace, the joy, the contentment that comes from him. And I think all that, what the Lord is asking us today is just, of course we have things to do in our lives that aren't spiritual, right? We have jobs. We have things to attend to. But he's asking us today, just let's, let's include him in those things. Even if it is those just five to ten second prayers throughout the day. Let's just include him. Let's bring him back into our minds. Hebrews 12.2 says those words, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 3 says similarly, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let's keep our eyes on him today. Back to that verse that we were looking at. For I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. I hope today that you understand that this verse isn't, it's not a call for us to go accomplish great feats for God or necessarily great feats for anything, but it's, it's a call for us to pursue a life of trusting God and having faith in Him through the ups and the downs of life, recognizing that He is going to enable us to endure, to carry on, that He is going to be able to empower us through the strength of him to do whatever he has called us to do today i don't know about you but i find this this interpretation of scripture much more powerful and much more comforting than maybe the other one where it's just i can do whatever i want through christ who gives me strength it's a powerful thing and i want to encourage you today don't stop liking this verse like, don't stop putting it on your wall. Don't stop buying, you know, coffee mugs that say it or an, another fridge magnet that you probably don't need. I don't, you know, don't stop. Just remember, there's context to this verse. But even though this context, it's just as powerful, if not more, to know that God will carry us through his strength and his power is with us, that we can get through anything life throws our way through him who gives us his strength. Amen. Let's let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are more than enough, that you give us peace even when nothing in our lives says we should have any peace, that you give us comfort, that you give us joy, joy in the Lord. And I'm praying today that our joy in you would grow and grow. That, like Paul, we could even say from our our figurative prison cell that I am full of the comfort of the Lord. I have learned the secret to be content because you are with me. I pray today for anyone here today that needs your joy, needs your contentment, needs your peace. Father, would you open their hearts to recognize that you were only a call away just to cry out and say, Jesus, come into my life, change me, be my savior, be Lord of my life. Give me that peace I need so badly, that contentment that comes only from you. Father, we just, we thank you for today. We want to be thankful. We want to keep setting our minds and fixing them back on you, knowing that you are where our strength comes from today and and forever. We pray these in Jesus' name, amen.